Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Rashawn Evans, and you're listening to the No Nonsense Podcast. Welcome into No Nonsense, the Tennessee Titans podcast, your place to go for on-demand Titans coverage that is 100% free of the nonsense that we always see in sports talk these days. I'm Luke Warsham, joined by the other two hosts of No Nonsense, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. We've got a very fun episode in store for you today. We are going to be predicting the Titans' final 53-man roster, which will be announced on Saturday at 3 p.m. Central Time, which is when the cuts from 80 to 53 will be due. We're also going to have Buck Rising of A to Z Sports on the show later on to talk about, namely, Isaiah Wilson. He and Will had a lot of fun talking about that, so be sure to stay tuned for that conversation. Uh, We also, in just a second, we're going to give you a way that you can win a free item of your choice from our merchandise shop. So, Hoodies, sweatshirts, t-shirts, you know, the Stop the Nonsense t-shirt. You're going to have your chance to win whatever you want, one, uh, from our shop in just a second. But before that, just real quick, guys, this is our last episode of the preseason. Next week, when we get on to record this podcast, we are going to be previewing a football game. We're going to be talking about, you know, key matchups we're going to be talking about things the titans need to do to win it's no more theoretical stuff it's it's go time it's crazy you said that on saturday they they cut the roster down to 53 and and i'm thinking to myself like what they can't they can't be right but it is because the season is just that close and it feels like it has just snuck up on us you know uh, just so many months being in quarantine, going through this whole pandemic situation, thinking there was never going to be an end in sight. And even though there isn't an end in sight yet to the whole situation, we at least have football to fall back on. The season is going on uh, as it was supposed to from the beginning. So it's definitely exciting. Uh, I do think, at least for me, I've lost a little bit of previous season's momentum like the luster from the previous season just because so much has happened since then and it feels like so long ago uh but it's easy to forget just how you know just how exciting that team was uh the times were last year towards the end of the season so i'm excited i hope we get that excitement back this season they brought back the core they're running it back so uh, I'm hoping for more of the same, and I'm just really excited that football's back, and especially because I always love the first two Monday night games of the season. It always has like a different vibe to it, 
And for the Titans to be that second one, even though it's really late and I'm going to go to sleep really late, uh, I just think it's so, so exciting and intriguing uh, to see what's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's weird because we've talked about it before that time has gone by so quickly. And, you know, even a second ago, it's like you said all that. And all I could think of was like, yeah, but it's, you know, 10 days away or whatever it is at this point. But it's just like I say that. And then the realization hits me that there's no cushion between now and the season. It's just right there. So, I mean, it's great. I'm I, obviously we're all excited to have football back and it'll be great. And, you know, the no, the, I guess I shouldn't say no, the very few COVID tests we have positive seem to be controlled and a major issue right now. So I think this is best as we could have hoped for, but at the same time, it still feels like we've spent so much of the sports calendar this year, looking around the corner, thinking that things likely weren't going to happen and then being happily surprised if they did. So I think the fact that something's right in front of us, like the like something major, like a regular on time NFL football season, it, it's just it's hard to comprehend. But you know, it's great to be here, and I'm excited to talk about it. Matthias, you make a very good point because, and I've been thinking about this too, as someone that you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not like a you know going to bed at nine o'clock or anything, but I don't you know stay up too terribly late. Oh, man, this Monday night game. It's going to be worse for you, Matias, because you're literally on the East Coast. But uh, 9-10 Central Time is the kickoff for Titans versus Broncos, which means three-and-a-half-hour game. Game ends at 12.40 a.m., you know, half an hour or so to get post-game comments over Zoom, you know, 45 minutes, an hour to write. It's, it's going to be a long night, uh, but that's what adrenaline is for right yeah i might have to ask for a couple hours off in the morning uh the next day at work honestly um no but like i said i just i always love that game it always the broncos always playing it they always play in that first monday night game at least it feels like and it always feels like they're playing against the raiders and it's usually like a terrible game because those teams aren't very good but they always have fun players and it's a rivalry so the fact that the Titans are actually in it, I think it's really cool. I can't remember that. I, I don't. I don't know if the Titans have ever been like on the second Monday night game, uh, and I honestly don't even remember the last Monday night game they played. Did they play one last year? Yeah, I think so. Right, or maybe they didn't. I I can't even remember. I don't think they did. But they play, I remember the Jacksonville disaster on Thursday night. I don't remember a Monday night game though. Yeah, did they play a Monday night game uh, when Mariota was hurt and they played against the Colts and Gruden kept talking about? Uh, yes, well, that was years ago. When he, that oh, was yeah, but I mean, I still think it's the last time. No, they played against the Texans. No, that Johnny had that long run. They played against the Cowboys no. too. Oh, that's yeah. The the Cowboys is the last Monday night football game. The Texans game was also a disaster for the Titans. Anyway, (laughs) moving past the the disastrous uh, past. So I did say that that there would be a way for all of you to have a chance to win a free item of your choice from our merchandise shop, which is at shop.spreadshirt.com slash no-nonsense pod. I wanted to get that right. Usually it flies off the tongue. That time it did not. 
Uh, free item of your choice, and here's how you can do it. We are trying to collect some information as we start our second year of the No Nonsense podcast. And to do that, we have put out a survey. It is very easy. I think it's just 11 or 12 questions, all multiple choice. It will take you literally two to three minutes tops to fill this out. It's a big help to us if you fill it out, and one person who fills out the survey will get a free item of their choice from our uh, merchandise shop. How do you find this survey link? Well, you can go to our social media pages, Facebook or Twitter, at NoNonsensePod, and the link to the survey is pinned to the profile as I'm speaking on both of those sites. If you listen to this podcast but do not have social media, the link is sort of long, so I can't really give it to you. So if you don't listen, to, if you don't have social media and listen to the podcast, you want to take the survey, either send me an email, Luke at Nashville.com, or send it to our podcast email address, which is email at which is email no nonsense at gmail.com. Uh, email either one of those, and we will make sure you get a link to enter and take the survey. And and guys, that is an important point. We're officially in, in year two of doing this, which it's been a great first year or so, and I'm very excited for the momentum we have going into year two. Yeah, no, I'm pumped. I, I really like what we've done. Uh, of course, there are, there are things to improve on, but that's kind of why we have this survey, just to bring you the best content uh, that we can. But it's been an awesome ride. I We've been doing this for more than one year, but having our own proper podcast uh, for the last year has, has been really fun. Uh, and I'm excited to see where we can take this. Obviously we're always going to bring you analysis and the stop the nonsense segment, but hopefully in the future we could do some more things and bring you other stuff that, that you guys will like. Yeah. And you know, we've had a lot of fun guests on, you know, people from ESPN and, you know, Associated Press and I mean, really, anywhere that talks about the Titans or has relevant things to say. So, you know, it's, that's always been great. We always love to hear if there's people that you want us to talk to because we enjoy doing that. And we think we've got a pretty good, you know, group of people that we've had on, especially recurring people. So, yeah, I mean, it's been great. We've been doing podcasts together for years at this point. So, you know, we're, we're always, ready for constructive criticism or anything you want to do to kind of tell us what y'all want. But I mean, I'm, I'm proud of what we put up so far. It's been, it's been fun and you know, it's, it's going to be exciting to keep it going this year. So yeah, again, you can find that survey on our social media pages at no nonsense pod, Twitter and Facebook, or email our podcast, email no nonsense at gmail.com or me, Luke at azsportsnashville.com. Let's get into some topics that we have to talk about before we get to buck. We're going to start with a couple of things uh, in the news, last week, we I particularly, but really all three of us, really railed on the Titans kicking situation. And, you know, it always happens because the Titans have been prone to these Wednesday news dumps. Uh, we come out on Wednesday mornings. So maybe you're listening to this and the Titans have signed either Steven Guskowski or the other Steven, Steven Hauschka, both of whom are in line to work out once they pass their COVID-19 tests. Uh, this, this is exactly what we called for, guys. I mentioned Guskowski. Will mentioned Guskowski. Matias, you mentioned Steven Hauschka. This is exactly what we called for, and I think this is exactly what had to happen. Probably too late for it to happen. It should have happened earlier, but my initial reaction upon seeing that 
veteran kickers like Gostkowski and Hauschka, both Super Bowl champions, both of whom have a long track record of success working out with the Titans, my reaction was, thank goodness. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking about this It's just, it didn't make any sense for the only competition for Greg Joseph, who isn't very good in his own right, for his only competition to be Tucker McCann, who I don't know who he is. I I don't know how he's doing in camp. I assume it's not very good if they're bringing in uh, other guys, but he was like a bad kicker in college, and it just didn't make sense for that to be the only competition for a guy who just isn't secure you know he never has been he wasn't for the browns uh he didn't really get an opportunity with the titans last year that's in the short time that he that he played he did okay on extra points and i think the one field goal he attempted so that was good but it just made so much sense to bring in a veteran guy who would fortify uh the kicking game especially when we had i think it was it was the worst right the worst kicking season in in nfl history so it just didn't make sense, and especially Gostkowski getting cut, it just seemed like a really logical destination because of John Robinson's ties to the Patriots, uh, Mike Rabel's ties to the Patriots, and he's always been good. The only reason he was even available is because he was coming off of an injury last year, uh, but he was a good kicker last year before that. You know, He was 7 of 8, 87%. Uh, he did miss a couple of extra points, but it had something to do with his injury i suppose so it just i i I assume they're gonna sign him and he's gonna win the job but even if they go with haushka i don't mind it he's been doing it for so long uh his his last two seasons at buffalo weren't great he was under 80 percent but kicking in buffalo was an absolute nightmare uh the weather up there is just brutal so you can't really fault him too much for that i was actually surprised he was available i thought he was still i thought he was still the the kicker there i don't know who's there but I would put my money on Hauschka or Goskowski being picked ahead of Greg Joseph. I, I'd, I'd really be surprised if that's not the case. And one of the kind of hot button issues last year that came out of nowhere was just being able to kick the ball off. Like both of these guys have above fifty percent kick uh, kickback rate or touchback rates. I mean, they've got strong enough legs to do it, and they've done it in inclement weather. So, you know. That definitely should help. You know, Tennessee's not a super hard place to kick, so it shouldn't be something that they really struggle to do. So, you know, it's it's one of those things where I've I've kind of said they wanted to see what they got that what they have in Joseph and what they had in McCann. Not that he was going to be anything special, but it's he's super cheap. He's under contract for a long time. He's young, and he's also like a backup punter, like which is something that. John Robinson seems to be fascinated with with his undrafted guys but you know at this point you you know if you like them or you don't they brought in guys to test you know and get ready so it seems like they don't like what they have no harm no foul I mean how hard is it to kick in front of no fans for three straight weeks because that that's really all that's really what they're going to be doing guaranteed so you know I, I'm not I'm not going to crush john robinson over this too much mainly because i'm never going to crush john robinson too much because i think he's done a really good job but you know a kicker so little changes you know you kick off from the same place every time you kick off you kick a field goal the exact same way there's very little changes in who holds the ball for you and how they hold it but you don't have to worry about any calls or learning the playbook the you know the posts are the same distance apart everywhere so 
bringing in a kicker is about as easy a transition as you can make. So if you give them two weeks, it feels like they should be pretty comfortable with what they need to do. Yeah. You know, it, it the last practice that I went to, uh, I don't, I think it was Sunday or Tuesday. I don't remember exactly when it was Friday. Uh, it became almost a game. I was standing on the sideline with some other reporters and it became a game. There, there, there were three locations where reporters were. There were a few in the back of the end zone standing, sh- you know, straight, looking straight at the goalposts. A few of us were standing on the sideline at the opposite 20-yard line. And then a few were standing closer to the goalposts at, like, you know, that 20-yard line. And it was becoming a game to see if we could figure out if these guys' kicks were actually going in because there was so much movement on them. Like and there were disagreements multiple times where you know Jim Wyatt down standing looking at the goalpost says it went in and Teron Davenport standing at the twenty is like well no it didn't go in did you see how much it broke outside it's like this should not be happening in the NFL for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations this bad of a kicking effort I mean you have to bring in one of the veterans I talked about it last week. They look like they're kicking sliders, and they just break way outside and then somehow, some way, manage to sneak back inside the uprights. That's not what it's supposed to look like, and if it, it's only going to get worse once there's fans and noise and actual pressure. Well, the good news is there won't be fans, so <laughs> at least that, that is true, at least at the start. So, yeah, I actually, I remember I tweeted a couple, maybe like a week ago. I just had the random thought, like, without fans, the kickers are just going to be, like, crazy accurate this year. Like, historic, historically accurate, just because yeah. there really isn't that much pressure. Uh, although, I don't know. I mean, maybe there will be fans at some point throughout the season in some stadiums. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, the, but, the COVID numbers in Nashville looked pretty good, the ones that came out today. I think there were around 100 to 200 new cases and that was it over the last couple of days so good yeah, development there we've been, we've been pretty good too so um I, I don't know i mean i've always been more optimistic than than anybody just about i mean obviously the, the, it, in a greed of the nfl and getting fans in the stand so i think they'll do it as soon as possible somebody announced today that they're the third week of the season or something they're going to allow fans in and it's going to be the first time and it's yeah. first time i've seen somebody who said that they weren't going to let people in originally hmm. announced that they were going to eventually let somebody in so also you know you've got better testing situations now vaccines whether people take them or not you know are supposedly exactly. going to be ready by the end of the year so we'll we'll see how all that goes but right now everything's trending in the right direction the biggest problem i think and th- this is not really what we were talking about but since we're here the biggest problem i think that every team is going to face is dealing with local government who's going to actually accept the blame to say okay you know you can have people in the stands because ultimately it's just a liability issue like the fact that they're playing the sport means that they care about, you know, testing and making sure everybody's safe. The NFL does. But at the same time, like they realize they're a giant corporation that employs tens of thousands of people and that, you know, they, they kind of have to function to sustain what they're doing. So that they have the independence to say, you know, we're playing football season as long as we can. And then the local government say, okay, but you can't do it in front of fans. And then we'll see kind of who bends and who doesn't. But 
I think since there's no hard, you know, you had 99 or fewer cases for three straight days, you're allowed to have fans in the stadium this weekend. Like, since there's no protocol like that in place, I think it's just a giant guessing game. I will say this, you know, the virus isn't obviously going to go away, certainly not for the rest of this year. I think just about everyone is thinking that we return to normalcy at some point in 2021 once, you know, we get a vaccine and everything. But I think we're figuring out how to manage it. Uh, And that's why the numbers are going down. We're figuring out when we need to wear masks, when we don't need to wear masks. How can we social distance in some places and, you know, still go about our lives and, and be productive? And so I think as we figure out those things, that's what's going to lead to some fans being allowed back. And, and I think you nailed it too, Will, that it comes down to the government, which in Nashville, the government is not a very popular commodity right now with sports fans with what they're wanting to do to Metro Nashville uh, high school football. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to watch. Um, you know, they, they certainly have the last say on all of this. Um I want to say this as we move into another topic. Peter King, national NFL columnist, one of the best, led with the Titans in his two weeks before the season started Monday morning column. It was a glowing review of the Titans and refreshing to see a national reporter have such a clear, accurate understanding of of the situation that the Titans find themselves in. He said that Arthur Smith is one of the most creative offensive minds in football. I'm not going to necessarily agree with that, but I think it is a fair opinion and something that you have not seen very often from national reporters. He also said that Vic Beasley is the biggest ghost in football right now, which means that he understands the situation the Titans are in with Vic Beasley. So, it was obviously cool to see a national reporter uh, you know, gl- with a glowing review of the Titans' situation and, and sort of endorsing them as a not-one-and-done team. But additionally, it was just refreshing to see a national reporter write about the Titans and not be an immediate candidate to end up in our Stop the Nonsense segment. Yeah, it's always really nice to see you know, the Titans being talked about in a positive light. Just because over the span of our fandom, it just hasn't usually been the case. You know, usually we're looking at mock drafts and seeing that we have a high pick uh, or, or talking about our coaching changes and stuff like that. So uh, just the fact that the Titans are in such a solid place uh, and seeing national media members kind of gush over the team uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, it's just awesome. Like Peter King is is like the foremost NFL writer there is, you know, or at least one of them. Uh, so to see him talking about the Titans, writing about them, going in depth on them, uh, it's just really cool. We see that a lot with also like Good Morning Football, which is one of the the main shows on the NFL Network. They love the Titans. They talk about them all the time, and, and it's just awesome that the Titans have gone to this place uh, thanks to. Amy Adams Strunk, thanks to John Robinson, now thanks to Mike Vrabel also. Uh, It's really cool. And in this Peter King article in particular, I found it interesting that he went so so in-depth on Arthur Smith because we've been kind of critical about him in the past, but I think a lot of the times we just expect too much uh, from play callers. It's really hard to just 
do things so consistently well, especially calling plays, it is really tough to string a bunch of good play calls together. And me in particular, I guess I just have to be more appreciative of his game plans and a lot of the plays he he draws up with because as we saw last Tannehill took over, he was he was in the zone for all right, so we've got Buck on with us now, and I will say, Buck, it's a shame that we couldn't be at practice on the same day due to the COVID restrictions, because I'm, I'm upset that you weren't able to make fun of me for wearing a Survivor buff as my mask at practices. Uh, listen, I am, I am highly critical of everybody's COVID fashion when I'm able to get out there on the practice field. What what kind of a mask are you wearing? What what did you say? Have you ever watched the show Survivor? It's like I've a... never watched the show Survivor. Oh my gosh. Well, they, they give all the contestants a buff, which is sort of like a gator, except it's specially made and it's really long. And I'm a big fan of the show, and so I have one like with the Survivor logo on it, and that's what I've been wearing as my mask. <laughs> well, listen... Uh, I've seen our buddy Teron Davenport. He's got a baby Yoda mask. Uh, I I have one that makes me look a little bit like Bane, which is, you know, so far from what I actually am, not even remotely intimidating in the least. So I, uh, I appreciate everybody's uh, everybody's fashion flair that they're adding to these uh, to these COVID restrictions, COVID practices, as we are all asked to mask up on a regular basis. As we open up this Titans discussion, I'm, I'm going to give Will the floor because the reason we wanted you to come on, Buck, is, is mainly after seeing your tweet about from the A to Z account about Isaiah Wilson and his lackluster performance at practice the other day, I knew Will would be all over that. So, so Will, go right ahead. Yeah, so I feel pretty vindicated about all this, but I'll kind of set it up like this. When Isaiah Wilson was drafted, I thought it was strange. I didn't think there was great value there because he's his best quality is that he's big. And anytime you hear somebody talk about him in camp, you hear about how big he is and how, you know, he's really good at blocking Nicole Pruitt. Like he's really good at pushing him once the whistle's blown and all that kind of stuff. But nobody talks about his technique or his anchor, or how well he does in pass protection. And then I heard you the other day on the radio and I'll just let you kind of speak to it because, you know, you saw it firsthand. But please tell everybody what you saw when you were at practice. Oh, I see uh, number 79 in two-tone blue, who appears to be a fat middle school kid uh, who just plays offensive line because he's bigger than everybody else. Like, this is this is what – and, you know, I say that mostly tongue-in-cheek. Like, he's obviously – uh, an SEC athlete. He's obviously somebody who has great promise and potential should he be refined. But at this point, he is very, very unrefined. And uh, we actually just got finished taping uh, my my Tuesday episode of, uh, of our 615 Sessions podcast. Teron Davenport, our friend from ESPN, uh, is telling people that they should not expect him to contribute in the year 2020 for the Tennessee Titans, based on what we are seeing out on the practice field. He looks exhausted on a regular basis. The conditioning is something that is problematic, like hugely problematic. Much, you know, Denver is out of the equation. Like, this is, a, Dennis, it, this is Dennis Kelly's job to lose, and it turns out the second, uh, the backup position behind Dennis Kelly may be Ty Sambreo's to lose 
as we sit here on September the 1st. Uh, I just, I look at him and I see uh, one exhaustion, two flaws in his technique. Maybe it's because he's tired. Maybe it's because they need to work with him some more in the same way that they had to work with Nate Davis, the, who, uh, who arrived here last year, a third-round pick, out of Charlotte needing some refinement with his stance, how to make his movements and his motions more efficient. He's just not there at this point, and that's going to disappoint a lot of people because you want your first-round pick to contribute right out of the gate or at least at some point in his rookie season. They kind of played the same game with, uh, game with Jeffrey Simmons last year and got away with it in a way that I think uh, does not happen at the time except in that particular circumstances, and that's apples and oranges comparison. But Isaiah Wilson is developmental at best as we sit here on September the 1st, and that is not what you're looking for out of the first round pick. And and here's what's so weird to me about this, is is they're in a situation where they are actively hoping that their first-round draft pick does not play. Because if Isaiah Wilson plays this season, it is because Dennis Kelly is not good. If, because if Dennis Kelly is out there and consistent and you're not noticing him, you're not going to touch it. It'll just be Dennis Kelly the whole season. Only way Wilson's coming in is if something happens to Dennis Kelly, either to his physical ability or to his performance on the field. And so they're hoping that their first-round draft pick doesn't play this year, which is a weird position to be in. And, well, look, we've got some more criticisms for John Robinson to go into in just a second, but... It's weird. It's just strange. Well, and I, I, should, uh, I should say this first, uh, just to, to jump back in. You're, you're not wrong about the whole big, you know, again, tongue-in-cheek, fat middle school thing. That's what he's always been. He's He came yeah. into, into Georgia at 380 pounds, I believe, and his big goal was that he cut down to 350, and then he's, you know, apparently not conditioning camp. So this isn't you being overly critical, this is a pattern of behavior that's continued and he's kind of skated by because he's bigger and stronger than everybody else. And that was everybody's big concern on him is just that that doesn't translate to the NFL very well. Well, and it could eventually, right? Like this is, you know, we're, we're hitting him over the head with this now because one, he's a first round pick and yeah, he was a luxury pick for them. Like you can, you can flip flop Christian Fulton and Isaiah Wilson with where they were selected in the first and second round or second and first round respectively. And I don't think this becomes a huge issue for people. Like if Christian Fulton was their first round pick late uh, in that, in that round, and then they went and got Isaiah where they got Christian Fulton. I think everybody is, is much quieter on this. They had two needs. They weren't going to pay Jack Conlon the $20 million it was going to cost to keep him around. Um, and that deal will, you know, we'll see how that looks when Baker Mayfield has to throw 25 times at any point in an NFL game and what, whether Jack Conklin is actually worth that $20 million. Because eventually that's what you want him to be. If he's some kind of version of Jack Conklin and he's cheaper, then you've done what you needed to do as you try and keep this, as you try and keep them in a window where they can win with cheaper contracts. Like, on paper, what they did with Isaiah Wilson makes sense. Now, whether whether he's the most important rookie to have out on the field right out of the gate, I think 
uh, is not the case. I think that, you know, before Christian Fulton had missed six, I think at this, as we take this on a Tuesday, he's now missed six practices. Um, and as has Darrington Evans, Darrington Evans, they, they both uh, were, were not able to finish the stadium practice a couple Fridays ago. And so now you start to be concerned. Christian Fulton would have been, would have been their nickel, would have been their starting nickel corner. Um, had, had he been able to stay on the field. I truly do believe that based on what they were showing us at practice. And I think Darrington Evans may be the more impactful rookie if they can get him out on the field, given what else he adds to their offense as they try and figure out, you know, whether, we, whether they need a true blue fourth wide receiver like Tajay Sharp or if they can get by with Khalif Raymond and Darrington Evans and Cody Hollister and some amalgamation of a fourth wide receiver. Isaiah Wilson kind of falls to the side of all that because, like, like we said, he's, he was a luxury that they could this year afford to take. And I know people are pissed because of the pass rush situation, but what, what they're dealing with there um, is a much different circumstance. And I don't know how much better they could have gotten at that position where they were picking um, in the draft as opposed to how they had planned to address that position this offseason, and you kind of see how that's falling apart around it. Hey, Buck, Matthias here. Uh, loving what I'm hearing about Isaiah Wilson. Really excited about <laughs> about our first-round pick. No, it, I mean, uh, us on this podcast, we were pretty, you know, concerned when we actually drafted him because we weren't really sold on him as prospects. So, I don't know. I guess we were just hoping for some optimism, but we understand that it's going to be. What the hell are you calling me for if you needed optimism, Matias? That's not exactly. And I don't know. I don't know how familiar you are with my body of work, but, but I, uh, optimism is not typically a strength. That's good because I'm going to keep it on the negative side. Actually, with this next question, uh, I I feel like this has been a little bit of an impractical off season for John Robinson. Mm-hmm. And the front office, I just usually they do very pragmatic decisions. You know, they address the biggest holes on the roster pretty much every offseason since he's been the GM. That's what they've done. And they've attacked it pretty hard either through the draft or free agency. But this offseason just just seemed really weird. The the Isaiah Wilson pick uh, aside, they didn't towards the towards the end of last season and it really you know came to a head in the AFC championship game the receivers are okay but there's not a lot of depth they lost Tajay Sharp I know they're hoping Khalif Raymond will take the next step but they're not exactly the same type of receiver then you have the kicking situation which we were all kind of shocked that they just decided to go with Greg Joseph and Tucker McCann in a competition given how awful uh, how awful the kicking game was last year. So for me, it's just been a weird off season uh, in terms of John Robinson's decisions. I know Luke has called it kind of off brand for him. What are your thoughts on, on the decisions they've made? And do you think they should have done things differently? Well, I mean, in retrospect, you can always nitpick what they've, what they should have done differently. And like, you know, I'm, I'm probably I'm probably going to be gentler on them this year just because of all all the stuff that they're having to wade through as you try and figure out well can I sign this player can I get this player in to have a physical can I try can I give Steven Gostowski 
and uh, and Stephen Hauschka a, a workout, but can I, you know, can I do that while also trying to get through that, get them through the necessary testing protocol that makes all of these things clunky and the signings become much, much more complicated. Um, I'm not, you know, that's not, I say all that to say you cannot just straight up give them a pass, but if you were ever going to in any other year, it would have to be this year, this clowny thing, uh, because, you know, we're talking about the pass rush. Vic Beasley is, I, I think, they're, they're not going to have to declare him with an injury when the season starts next week because they've been hiding him on the non-football injury list. And so you can kind of skirt the rules that way where we keep playing the shell game every damn Zoom call with Mike Grable about what Vic Beasley's timetable is. The, I, he's going, he has something that he's dealing with that they are, you know, understandably, not going to be forthcoming about that's a problem outside of the fact that, you know, he showed up 10 days late to work and he's taken, uh, what what is it, $500,000 worth of fines. And he's, you know, he's focused on building a church, which uh, in in Georgia where he's from, which uh, understandably a noble cause, but at this point, Titans fans and Titans media and Titans coaches probably don't give him too terribly, aren't, aren't terribly concerned about his plans for after football. They're trying to figure out what they can get out of him for the $9.5 million that they're locked into at this point unless they try and arbitrate later in the year, which just becomes a much different situation. There are problems with what John Robinson has done. And, I mean, uncharacteristic, as as you're saying, Luke has described it, uh, these guys are going to have a perfect hit rate. Like, I think – appreciably better at his job than many of his peers. I think he's one of the most underrated talent evaluators in this sport. And I think that he also fouls up. Like I think the Vic Beasley thing is going to bite him in the ass the way, the same way that Kevin Dodd bit him in the ass now for different reasons, but this stuff happens. It's not an excuse. It's just the nature of the business. They probably would have had Clowney if Clowney had uh, they probably here. Let, let me say it this way: They probably would have had Clowney already if Jadavion Clowney was capable of getting the hell out of his own way. This dude, he turned down a twelve million dollar a year salary from Seattle. Uh, Ngakwe is now taking six million dollars less, playing for twelve million to get the hell out of Jacksonville, which has totally sabotaged the market for Jadavion Clowney. So. You hear things like Peter King on the Midday 180 talking about, well, I've heard if he doesn't get at least 15, he'll think about sitting out of the season. You hear unhappiness with his agent, Bus Cook, when all Bus Cook, all Bus Cook is trying to do at this point is try and make sure that he doesn't cost himself, he being Jadavion Clowney, that Jadavion Clowney doesn't cost himself more money than he already has. Because at this point, it's between the Titans and Seattle. Like, don't let anybody tell you differently in regards to that. But he's going to come in around around 14 for one of those two franchises, and the leverage for him is gone um, at this point. His market is dwindling. He's not going to get more than a one-year deal. And they probably would have already had that done had he been more one-accessible given the COVID, uh, the the restrictions that COVID has put on all of these things, physical evaluations and otherwise. Um, And also he's being just unbelievably stupid about the way that he's handled all of this. 
in a way that sandbags the Titans as they try to make their season plans, or we'll, and they look at it and they say, okay, if we can't get Clowney for uh, $18 million, well, then we can pay half as much for Vic Beasley, get somewhere close to the same production within a rotation, and call it a day. Well, nobody could predict that Vic Beasley would handle these things the way that he did, even though you heard less than glowing reports out of Atlanta. Nobody expected it to be this big of a disaster. It's compounded by Derek Roberson, who was going to be a pass rush specialist, if not a three-down player, uh, in a system where they need as many of these outside linebackers as they can throw at opposing offensive lines, because these guys get chewed up in this kind of a system, especially when there is underside. You know, when you run, it's not a it's not a true blue three-four defensive front, but you have these smaller outside linebackers that you are trying to get pass rush out of, and they're going against people the size of Isaiah Wilson and Taylor Lawan, and they get chewed up. So you need waves of them to throw at your opposition. And at this point, not only do they not have that, they don't have the top-end talent outside of Harold. Uh, and they are going to lose guys to injury, to COVID, or otherwise, God forbid, throughout the course of the season. And it may, you know, it's part of their fault, but it's also like this has been as disastrous an offseason as a talent of, as a general manager could possibly have around the league, not just John Robinson. I know you're about to have to run to uh, get ready for A to Z Sports primetime, so just two quick quick fire questions. All they need is a one-word answer. Question number one, the number five wide receiver on the depth chart on day one of the season is who? Uh, I would say it is uh, Rashard Davis. Yeah, that, that's what I think. And then question number two, if the over-under is week four for when Vic Beasley makes his Titans debut, and if he ne- and if you're saying he never does take the over, are you taking the over or are you taking the under? Man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say under, because if he doesn't make his debut by week four, like I've just do not around. Yeah, I just, I just got a tweet literally five minutes, two minutes ago from a guy who says, on a scale of one to ten, how shocked would you be if they just cut him and ate the money? And I said two, because I don't know how much more of this they can put up with. But thank you so much for coming on. We always appreciate it, and we always have a good time. Yeah, thanks for having me, boys. Anytime you need me, just holler. Okay, we are back, and we're going to take a look now at the Titans' uh, 53-man roster. Uh, Buck Rising, I didn't even introduce him before we put him on. Buck Rising is uh, works for A to Z Sports, hosts A to Z Sports primetime every Monday through, or every Sunday through Thursday on Facebook Live and Periscope. You can follow him on Twitter, at Buck Rising. So I've got, I've been working, because I'm, on Wednesday, when this episode is coming out, I'm coming out with an article on ADCSportsNashville.com with my 53-man roster projection. Will, I imagine you'll probably do one, too, for Titan-sized, right? Correct. Yeah, so I've got this spreadsheet, like an Excel doc, because it's very easy for me to keep track of how many I have. And I currently have 54 players on there. I'm trying to figure out who I want to take off. But let's go position by position. I've got the roster in front of me, and see if we can't come to a consensus on at least, you know, 56 guys that maybe have the shot, because I'm sure there will be areas where we disagree, as with most things, but I think we can probably come to a pretty good consensus. Let's start with quarterback, where I am convinced that they're going to now, 
that they're going to keep three. I initially thought it was just going to be uh, Tannehill and Simeon, but I think it's going to be Tannehill, Simeon, and Woodside. I disagree with that, but that is my prediction as to what will happen because Woodside is still very clearly in practice. I've seen it. Jim Wyatt tweeted it today. Very clearly, he is still QB2. That's insane. But, I mean, if that's what's happening, then, yeah, I guess I'll make the team if he's still getting uh, second-team reps. Uh, wow. I would not have put him as, as making the team. I figured they would just try to stash him on the practice squad because no one is going to – no one's going to pick him up. But, all right, three quarterbacks it is. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you. Like, I'm on the fringe – some days I'm like, well, let's give it more time. Maybe they'll kick him down to the practice squad and just do that all over again. But, I mean, like like Luke said, he's taken all the sec- – well, maybe not all, but like 90% of the second team reps. Like, it, you very rarely apparently see Simeon throw in team drills. So, I mean, that, that tells you that they're more committed to Woodside, but they signed him, so there's obviously a flaw they saw in Woodside, or else why would you bring in Simeon and not – you know, a young player or just keep Cole McDonald or whatever if you just want to camp arm. But I, I don't see why they don't keep all three unless, like I said, they think they can sneak McDonald or they think they can sneak Woodside onto the practice squad. Next. I feel like he's going to get cut like the first few weeks of the season. I could Once definitely see that happening. I think well, it's going to start with that. The problem is you, that once you get through week one or whatever, don't you become a bested veteran? Like, once you actually play, like, the ball kicks off well, for the first week you, of the season, isn't that you don't, the rule? You don't become a vested veteran until you have four accrued seasons. And Woodside, I don't even know that he has one. He has, he has three, I think. How? Oh, dude. He has to actually play. Yeah. Does oh, he? does he have to actually Okay, then, then maybe I'm incorrect. I thought yeah, you just had to it, be on the active roster. It's just like it, I know, Will. You won't understand this, but it's just like baseball, where you have to earn your free agency with service time. You can't just exist for four years and then become a free agent. I don't like that, but I like that idea. <laughs> that's, that's a good way to do that. Yeah. Okay. Next up is running back. Where we, we were talking about this one before the show. I think it's going to be four. I think it's going to be Henry Evans, Kari Blossom game, and Jeremy McNichols because they clearly brought him in for a purpose. He's getting practice reps. You hear people talk about it all the time. Vrabel kind of gave a glowing review, said he was very close to making a team last year at a great camp. We brought him back in now because he knows the system. You know, everything's a quick turnaround because of the coronavirus. And especially with Evans currently being on the mend, and as of us recording this, having missed well over a week of practices, I think you have to keep McNichols unless you're wanting to keep Sonoris Perry or one of these other hardly pronounceable running backs that they have. No, McNichols should have made the team last year. He had a fantastic preseason, uh, and I was kind of surprised that that he didn't make the team. So, yeah, I I think he will make the team, uh, especially given – Evans injury uh during during the last week or so uh he hasn't been able to practice much and for a rookie that that's pretty crucial so I think it's important to get someone in there that you've seen actually do it in a game setting granted it was preseason but someone that you've seen do it and that you're comfortable with yeah uh, it's a no-brainer to me to keep uh 
all three, all four of those, like if you want to call blasting game a running back, that's fine. You know, those make sense. And like I said, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, let me go back and say this. I think last year there were two players that were cut from the roster before the season started that didn't make any sense to me. And it was McNichols and Corey Levin. And I still, to this day, think that the team would have been better last year and think that the team would be better now if both those guys were on it. So if you can fix that this year, by all means do. But, you know, you can't tell me that the Titans got anything more out of Deion Lewis and Dalen Dawkins last year than they could have gotten out of McNichols and he had a higher upside. So uh, I, I don't know that this seems like a no brainer. And also McNichols lo- looks bigger than he's listed at. And, you know, Dalen Dawkins was the choice last year, as I think you guys mentioned. And, you know, if something were to happen to Derrick Henry and this backup is forced to play significant snaps, I would think that Dalen Dawkins would just get his body destroyed trying to run inside zone, whereas I think McNichols could handle it. Yeah, he can. It's and, good, and he, yeah. He did it at Boise boys State, too. But, yeah, Dawkins was too small. Like, it, it just – it was the Kalfani Muhammad situation all over again. Like, those guys just can't take – they can't take inside carries. Well, am I crazy or did uh... – McNichols returned kicks last year and also play on coverage and like got a few tackles in the preseason. Like uh, I want to say that happened, but uh, maybe I'm just dreaming. You mean with the Titans, like in the preseason? Yeah. I don't remember him returning punts. I might remember him returning kickoffs. Yeah. I think, I think Humphreys returned uh, a lot of the punts, but that doesn't matter. We can keep going. I, that's just something that was in my head that I wanted to clarify. So here's the position that I think is most up for debate. Uh, I've talked to a couple different people and gotten different answers on who they think it's going to be. I've heard his receiver position. We know the top four, A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, Khalif Raymond. It's two questions. Number one, do they keep five or six? And then question number two is obviously whether your answer is five or six, who are those people? Uh, I've heard some people say they think Cody Hollister is the number five. Uh, Buck just said Rashard Davis he thought was the number five. That's what I think is going to happen. Cameron Batson is an option. I don't see that happening. I think it's probably going to be Davis or Hollister or Davis and Hollister, and you throw uh, Cam Batson to the side. Uh, what, what do you all think? I mean, it's a very interesting spot. We've talked about Davis because of his punt returning abilities, uh, being a a nice option there. So about two weeks ago, I thought it was going to be six receivers, and I thought Batson was going to make the team. But you've kind of persuaded me into thinking Batson probably is not going to make the team, and they're going to go with five with Brashard Davis being the fifth. Uh, I, I just don't think Cody Hollister and Batson, like, I don't think they offer you anything uh, that you need really like they're not going to contribute much at all and Rashard Davis at least can contribute on punt returns he did it in college uh, and I think he returned a couple last year if I'm not mistaken yes. uh, for the Titans towards the end of the season so they see they've seen him do that uh, and he seems to fit their mold of like those small quick receivers so I think he's going to be the fifth uh, because I think they're going to they're going to well, we'll talk about it later, but I feel like they're going to keep four tight ends and, and then just stick with five receivers. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. If there's a six, it's going to be Hollister, but the fifth is going to be Davis. Uh, Hollister, I think the only thing he gives you is size. And, I mean, he and Ferks are, are very similar and that they're guys you can throw it to. They win at the catch point pretty well. Don't expect a lot after the catch, but they're also big, you know, like I said, I think they're both six four plus or something. So they give you size at a position where you really don't have anybody above six foot one or two. I forget how tall AJ Brown is, but you get Corey Davis at six three, and then I think that's your tallest guy in your first four by like an inch or two. So, you know, I think if you want, because Vrabel talked something about uh, how he liked the different. You know, I don't know if he called it skill sets or traits or something that these different players offered, and he broke them down like, you know, you've got two tall guys in Hollister and Corey Davis, and you've got two fast guys. You know, that that's kind of how he broke them down. So if you're looking for another body type, Hollister gives you that. But if you're looking for, you know, the players on this roster wide receiver who are, you know, worthy of an NFL spot, I think you would stop the list after Davis. Yeah, I, I kind of see eye to eye with you all on that. I just don't know that you know, Hollister has the different body type, but I just don't know how valuable that is because he's not terribly talented. Tight end is the next position. I think they keep four. Uh, I don't. I think keeping three is kind of thin. You have Jonu Smith, Anthony Furcher, and Michael Pruitt as the clear top three, and then I think Jeff Swain, the free agent pickup, uh, who has played with the Cowboys before? I think he sticks as that fourth guy. Yes, I, I have nothing more yeah. to add to that. <laughs> I think Swaim is actually kind of an underrated player. Uh, he he did a, a couple of good things when he was with Dallas. He didn't get much of an opportunity with Jacksonville, but no one gets an opportunity with Jacksonville. So uh, I, I do think he's going to make the team, and I, I think he might. He might pass Prude and Furcher on the roster with a couple, not like on the depth chart with a couple of good performances. I think they only keep three. Uh, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I think Blasting Game plays that H back kind of, you know, fullback moving. You know, they can line him up off the line of scrimmage and he can sift block backside. Like, I think they like him as that kind of do it all player. I also think that they'll, they'll need the spot for something else I'll talk about in a second. But the main thing is I think they wanted to get Swaim on the roster so they had another guy who knew their system that they could put on the practice squad as one of the vested veterans. I think there's six slots you get that you can use. But I think they wanted somebody who knew what they wanted to do. They were going to pick their top three, and then if they needed somebody, they'd pull him up because I want to say that that's what happened with Ferkser, right? Like, wouldn't Ferkser not on the original roster? And then he made it last year. Was maybe that was the year before? Uh, but either way, like, yeah. La- last but, year he was there the whole time as a rookie. Furser was, or in his first year with the Titans, Furser started active, went practice squad, then came back to active. If I remember mm-hmm. right, yeah. No, yeah. I think that's right. He made it initially, but then we put him on the practice squad and then came back. That makes sense. So e- either way, like. I think they like to have tight ends around. I think they know that's an an important position in this offense. And I think that he's another guy who's kind of like Pruitt, which is he probably wasn't appreciated enough by the team that let him walk. Like just like, you know, Pruitt was with the Texans. 
and he's a guy who can do some things but is not going to wow you. But if he's your fourth best tight end, great. I just don't think they have a spot for him on the roster opening day. Offensive line is very boring to discuss. So let us get through this one very quickly. Hard uh, disagree. <laughs> Will the former offensive lineman. I, I have, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine offensive linemen right now. I I was kind of pressured. I, I, I talked to some people that we have on this podcast. I talked to Titans Film Room. I talked to Justin Mello and others as I was making this. And I was kind of pressured by them and others to put Quessenberry on here. But now that I'm looking at it, I'm going to trust my gut and say I don't think Quessenberry makes it, especially if Nate Davis actually just had cramps. Because Tyson Brylow can play tackle and guard. Uh, uh, Jamil Douglas plays guard and center. So I don't see the reason for needing a third guard because Isaiah Wilson and Tyson Brylow are your backup tackles. So I'm going to just say they're going to keep eight because of the amount of versatility they have. And it's going to be LaJuan Kelly, Isaiah Wilson, Tyson Brylow, Roger Saffold, Nate Davis, and Ben Jones. It's crazy that Jameel Douglas is still on the team, but here we are. Uh, I guess his versatility is important. Um, I don't know much about I don't know much about O line, so uh, I'm just going to defer to Will here. But I mean, I think some some Barilo makes the team. Also, I don't know about Questenberry to be honest. I, I I forgot to say Jameel Douglas when I listed the players, but I think he definitely makes it because he's the no no you said center. Okay, I think said, he's the backup center. I don't know that you did because I was thinking that too, but I, I think it was understood in what you were talking about. Um, so okay, this this is the spot I was talking about. I think that they do keep Questenberry because I think the worst case scenario for the Titans is that they're going to have to play Isaiah Wilson, and I don't I don't know if they'll admit it to themselves like that, but I think today when you know we're recording this on Tuesday, Nate Davis went down and I, uh, and Isaiah Wilson. No, sorry, Dennis Kelly was out. Isn't that right? And then uh, Ty Sambrello was taking snaps as the starting, quote-unquote, right tackle with Kelly out. So Isaiah Wilson is already the third right tackle. And then when uh, uh, Nate Davis went out, it wasn't Sambrello going inside to guard and Isaiah Wilson stepping up to tackle. It was Sambrello coming in and taking one of those spots next to Sambrello. So Isaiah Wilson is so far down the depth chart that He's not good enough to put in if you need to kick Sambrello into guard. He's not good enough to put into guard if you want to put him there. So he's third team at best at every position. So I think you have to go – you have to have Questenberry to be your backup offensive tackle slash guard. Then you have to – and plus I think they just love Questenberry. Like he's one of those guys like Cam Batson and Jameel Douglas, which if he plays, it's not great for you. But at the same time, they love him. So – they don't really care if they – I mean, <laughs> this sounds crazy to say, but I think they would rather lose with a guy like that rather than win with somebody else. And, you know, I, like I said, I know that sounds crazy, but it's what a lot of their moves have shown us over the past two years. But anyway, I think they need that extra depth. So then the only thing you change is Questenberry and Ty Sambrello are your backup offensive tackles. You keep the original starting line and you have Jameel Douglas – and that gives you nine. Moving to defense. 
Edge is interesting because I think it depends on Vic Beasley's status. It also depends on what's wrong with Derek Roberson, who was injured. So for now, I'm going to say Landry Beasley, Correa Roberson, and DeAndre Walker. Uh, I could see some dissension with that. Maybe uh, a Wyatt Ray, who is impressed a little bit, a, a guy they picked up as a free agent. I mean, I don't know that there's a whole lot to discuss with this one. No, no. Hopefully Beasley will actually make a contribution uh, because if not, that really looks like a rather thin uh, edge group, especially because we don't know what DeAndre Walker is uh, because yeah. he didn't play it. Yeah, I think that's the hard when you're doing this exercise. I think that position's the hardest to nail down. It's more speculation than anything else than an educated guess. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm the same exact spot. Inside linebacker: Rashawn Evans, Jayon Brown, David Long, Nick Dzubnar, and Will Compton. I don't think that's his name, but go ahead. Yep. No. <laughs> no qualms. <laughs> Yeah, Interior, that's, that's it. yeah, that's it. Interior defensive line. Uh, I could see – I have Matt Dickerson on this list in front of me that I made. I could see him coming off of it because uh, I don't think you need more than five, especially if Matt Dickerson – you know, he's not going to get picked up by anybody. You put him on the practice squad. Uh, the five, including Dickerson, is Isaiah Mack, Jack Crawford, Laurel Murchison, Daquan Jones, and Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, that's exactly what I would have to. I, I don't know if Dickerson makes a roster, although they do seem to like him a lot. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Crawford takes that spot. I think Mac is pretty set in stone. Granted, this isn't a very inspiring group of interior linemen, let me just say. Well, that's just because you have to include Matt Dickerson. Like, it, it's not <laughs> – I mean, it's, it's really not terrible. Like, Daquan Jones, Jeffrey Simmons, very good – if Crawford and Mack are your backups and you've got Murchison behind them, I mean, that's a pretty good group of defensive tackles. You've got kind of a veteran who can do his thing. You've got a young guy who can develop. You've got Jeffrey Simmons and Daquan Jones who are going to be a really good tandem. But as soon as you say Matt Dickerson, it just makes me think of all the times I've seen him stand straight up and get driven back and all the times that Mike Vrabel's kept him on the roster. So I, I think you're right. But again, this is the whole Jameel Douglas thing all over again. Okay, now we go to – well, let's do specialists just real quick. Greg – or uh, the kicker, whether it's Joseph or Gostkowski or Hauschka, Kern and Brinkley, right? And then with DB is where I think it is – I think this – we talk about every year there's an off-the-wall one or one that surprises us. I think this is where it's going to be. Uh, so let's let's start with the locks. Dory Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Christian Fulton – Kevin Byard, Kenny Vaccaro, Amani Hooker, Dane Krutschenk. Any qualms with those being just absolute locks, barring a massive shock? No, no, not at all. Okay. Krutschenk's the only one, but I think he's such a good special teamer that yeah, it'd be and, hard to get rid of him. He's got two years left on his contract. Very, very cheap. I would be shocked if they cut him. Okay, beyond that, you have Ty Smith. You have Jonathan Joseph, who I think... I think he makes the team, but I think there's a chance that he doesn't. And I think some people are, are penciling him in as a lock, and I wouldn't do that. You have Chris Milton. You have Kareem Orr. Joshua Kalu, uh, Kenneth Durden. 
all these guys that we hear from time to time, oh, they're having a great camp, or, or oh, they're so valuable as a special teamer, they're going to have to pick and choose. You also have Chris Jackson, the rookie seventh-round draft pick, who I don't think has much of a shot to make the team. I think he is clearly going to be a practice squad guy. Um, I think what they're going to—I think Ty Smith makes the cut pretty easily. I think they're going to be deciding between this four, and maybe you keep three of this four, but it's going to be between this four of Joseph, Milton, Kalu, and Orr. That's the way I see it. What about y'all? I think I feel like Kalu is kind of a lock just because of their special teams contributions. I mean, you don't you don't block a couple field goals uh, last year and then don't make it back. And he's a really good core special teamer. So him and Smith, I, I feel like are pretty good locks. How are you going to cut Milton? Also, he's also so good at special teams. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Like we've talked about this with Jonathan Joseph in the past. Uh, that if he's not going to contribute on special teams, I just I don't see a way that he makes a team. But uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe with Fulton missing practice today, maybe he he gets a nod just because you need a steady veteran guy. But I don't know. This could go so many different ways. Like I could see them keeping like Kareem Orr over Jonathan Joseph and 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 Kalu and Milton. I I, I really don't know. It's kind of ambiguous what's going to happen. Yeah, I think Ty Smith is the next guy out of that core group. You know, I think he's the next man up. That I think they like him a lot, and I think he's done enough when he's gotten chances to play. I, I think Jonathan Joseph makes the roster, and then I think it comes down to Clue and Milton, who's the better special teams player. And I think it's, do you want a better gunner, or do you want somebody who might block a kick? And I think they end up going with Milton because cornerback is more important. They're already too deep behind their starters at safety. And because, you know, how uh, how many tackles – and, again, a tackle is not as important as a blocked field goal. But, I mean, how many tackles did we see Milton make and he was healthy for like four weeks? So, you know – you can bring him up, put him on injured reserve if he gets hurt. Remember that you can bring guys back as many times as you need to from injured reserve this year. So if you need to make a spot for uh, Kalu, all you've got to do is say, we're putting Milton on injured reserve. We're bringing him back in two weeks. We'll knock Kalu back down to practice squad, and we'll bring him back up. But I think that's how they want to structure the roster. Yeah. That's it. We made it through which means it's time for Stop the Nonsense, uh, our weekly segment, which is a fan favorite, where we go through and we talk about nonsense in and out of the sports world. Would anybody like to start? I'll start because mine's so weird. <laughs> All um, right. Okay, so my Stop the Nonsense is, it's really these like quote-unquote all-star teams that people make before the seasons in general where you'll see it, it you see it a lot more in like publications where it was like this is our preseason all pro or whatever their version of it is <laughs> there's this newspaper in I, I mean I guess it's in Germany I don't know where it's it's germ it's you know the words are German so <laughs> this guy I, I, who I'm guessing has never watched football um, made his quote unquote dream teams and uh, I won't go through all of them, but there's a lot of names you'd expect. 
like Aaron Donald and J.J. Watt, even though he's not that good anymore. But he's got Preston Smith and Zedarius Smith from the Packers as inside linebackers, which is not the position they play. They play outside linebackers. He's got Larry Fitzgerald on the list, and he's got him as a wide receiver for the Vikings. They've got Christian McCaffrey on there as – you know, running back for the Panthers is their number one running back. But the picture is clearly not Christian McCaffrey. It's somebody else. It's like a kicker. It's it's very clearly just the first white person they saw. Um, they've got Rob Gronkowski as the tight end. They've got Trent Brown as the, you know, all America or the dream team left tackle. And they've got Taylor Lewan as the dream team right tackle, even though they have him listed inside at guard. Uh, and there's something else that was really weird about this. It's it's hard to go through. Oh, also, uh, they put J.C. Jackson from the Patriots as the second corner beside Stephon Gilmore, clearly because they just Googled who is the best corners in the league, and Stephon Gilmore popped up, and they just chose both of them. But it is absolutely crazy, and this is what an entire nation – looked to to assume who the best players in the sport were. So I guess I'm just glad Taylor Lewan's on there, even if they used a picture from like six years ago for his picture. But it is a crazy list. I saw that. It was incredibly weird. It didn't make any sense. Uh, so I'll go ahead with mine. Uh, as you all know, uh, all this Alvin Kamara news has been a little bit of a shock. Uh, that the Saints would be willing to trade him if they can't come up with a contract. And I feel like there were some bad takes that were thrown around, especially this one from our guy, Michael David Smith, who is the managing editor of Pro Football Talk. Uh, we love that site. Always have really good opinions. Uh, that, was sarcasm. <laughs> that was sarcasm. Anyway, he tweeted... The Saints will be just fine if they trade Alvin Kamara. He missed two games last year. The Saints won both of them, and Latavius Murray had a combined 48 carries for 221 yards and three touchdowns, plus 14 catches for 86 yards and one receiving touchdown. Yeah, that's true. They also played the Bears and the Cardinals, two of the worst teams in the league, so that has nothing nothing to do with it, really. And then he followed that tweet up with, yes, Alvin Kamara has played well in New Orleans. Since Drew Brees and Sean Payton arrived in 2006, every running back they've had has played well. Reggie Bush, Pierre Thomas, Chris Ivory, Darren Sproles, Mark Ingram, the list goes on. It's not the individual running back. It's the Saints offense. Uh, maybe, maybe that's kind of true, but they have never had a running back as talented as Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara has average, has, sorry, has evaded 40-plus tackles every single year of his career since he was a sophomore at Tennessee. He's one of the elite tackle breakers in the NFL. He had one of the best rookie seasons of all time. He's caught 81 passes every single year since he's been in the NFL. Uh, he has He's just an amazing player. He has an 80.5% catch percentage. He dictates what a lot of defenses do because he absolutely kills you both on the ground uh, and through the air. And... He was injured for a lot of last season, and their offense kind of sputtered at times because of it. They couldn't even make it past the Vikings last year in the playoffs uh, because Alvin Kamara was in full health. Uh, and I, I think it's just really short-sighted to say that every running back is just the same. I've seen it a lot. Uh, I agree that paying running backs isn't always the right move, but Alvin Kamara is way more 
than just a running back. He will line up at receiver out of the slot out wide, and he kills linebackers, cornerbacks, whoever is on him. And it's just weird to see um, the situation kind of bring out those types of takes about a player like Alvin Kamara. Yeah, the weird thing is not that they don't want to pay him because, yeah, I get it, running backs, right? But but that they're, like, wanting to get rid of him. There's a difference in the two. And also, I saw a tweet. This isn't my Stop the Nonsense. But I saw a tweet just a minute ago, and I, and I quote tweeted it. Jeff Duncan, who is a columnist for the Athletic New Orleans, said, The Saints are a better team with Alvin Kamara, and they know it. But remember, this is a team that traded Dante Stallworth, Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles, Jimmy Graham, and Brandon Cooks. There's an unwavering confidence in their ability to scheme up offense under Sean Payton. They stuck for years after trading Darren Sproles and Jimmy Graham. <laughs> yeah. Every broadcast you tuned in. Well, ever since, you know, I can I can hear Troy Aikman saying it right now. Well, ever since this team traded away Darren Sproles and Jimmy Graham, they really just haven't been the same team. And that's put a lot of pressure on Sean Payton. Right. You can hear it. In John, and I can hear it in Troy Aikman's voice right now. They stunk <laughs> when they traded those guys away. And, and so I, I think it's bad logic to just be like, we've got you know one of the true offensive geniuses of the NFL. Let's trade all our players away. Like, just stop. They already lost Mark Ingram, and that hurt them. Yeah, and talking about Mark Ingram, he never had a better year than he did uh, Kamara's rookie year because they both were you know guys who could catch out of the backfield or run and you could not scheme to stop them and when you thought you knew what they were doing they would do something different and it's not all Kamara that kind of opened that up I guess but at the same time Mark Ingram was a bust for a long time like you know quote unquote yeah. bust but like people were ready to get rid of him in New Orleans after like year two he just wasn't that guy and now Ever since that 2017 season, his career is just completely revitalized. He doesn't get 300 carries, but he seems to be productive now because he understands what he can be in offenses that feature that kind of gadgety guy who, you know, if guys aren't all bearing down Mark Ingram, he can break tackles and make plays. So not only did he come and open up the offense from the standpoint of you can always throw it to Kamara and he'll make two guys miss, but also from he made everybody around him tangibly better so yeah like don't mean he changed the way breeze like went into the line like into the into his retirement because he made it so easy for all of these short passing plays him and michael thomas together he made it so easy for breeze to just say here take a two-yard pass evade tacklers and just go into the end zone it was just that easy yeah, what's, what's your linebacker going to do if he's playing zone and he sees Kamara bubble out to the left and he sees Michael Thomas go and slant right in front of him? Like, who's he going to drift with? Because he's going to be wrong either way. So, like, having those options in tandem makes that offense go. Here's my stop the nonsense. Donald Trump – no, I'm kidding. I'm not – I don't do politics. Um, I, uh, so it does involve, however, the, the Titans sitting out of practice last week. That is not it. Please do not stop listening now and say, Luke, stop the nonsense. It was that the Titans sat out of practice. That's not it at all. And, and my stop the nonsense also isn't people who disagreed with that. Because I think too often with politics, we take this position of, and it doesn't really happen with with sports or, or anything else that we discuss. We take this position in politics of if someone disagrees with me not only 
do I disagree with them and, and think they're wrong? Because, right, there's nothing wrong with thinking someone else is incorrect. But, like, they are somehow inferior beings to me. So, if you disagreed with the Titans' decision to sit out of practice last week, that is your right, and I'm not going to criticize you for that. Everyone has a right to their opinion. What I am going to disagree with, however, and what I am going to call out, is this attitude of, you know, it started with the kneeling a few years back. The whole, I'm selling my season ticket, I'm never coming back to a game again, you know. Like Jim Wyatt put something in his mailbag of some person who asked to, quote, be removed as a Titan supporter. I don't know what that means. I don't know. that. I think maybe Amy Adams Strunk keeps some kind of list in an Excel doc. I'm not really sure. But I've always had a fundamental misunderstanding. or I don't sync with the concept of boycotting just by yourself. Like, you know, like... Gandhi, right, is what everyone goes to when you talk about the term boycott, this idea of a peaceful protest, of, of saying, you know, we're not going to come back to this until you change your ways. What I don't get, number one, uh, uh, about half, uh, it was about half and half, which means that if you round up, a majority of Titans fans were fine with what they did. Many of them even praised what they did by, by sitting out of practice to raise awareness for social justice issues. Uh so I don't understand when Jim Bob or Jane Bob wants to throw a hissy fit and claim that they are never going to watch the Titans again. Like, for me to just stop watching football, which is something that I have loved ever since I was a kid, and you know, not so much anymore, but I mean, I was obsessed with the NFL back, you know, in, in middle school. And I, mean, I say obsessed. I spend hours a week covering the NFL, so I guess I'm sort of still obsessed with it. But the point is, it would take a lot to get me to just be done with the NFL. And so I am wondering, like, if you do disagree with their decision to sit out or something else political that has happened, and you then make the decision, I'm not going to watch it anymore, why? If you still enjoy the product, just keep watching it. Because... You're not sending them a message. They don't care that you stopped watching. They're still going to make their money. And do I get tired of, of the political implications that have come into the sports world? Yeah, I think just about everyone probably does at times. Because every now and then something's going to happen that you disagree with. But I keep watching because I like football. Because I like watching Titans football. Because I have two jobs on this podcast and at A to Z where I have to cover Titans football. And so, just a word to the wise, if you enjoy something and they do something you disagree with, it is childish to throw a temper tantrum on social media declaring your future abstinence from this product and, and then boycotting it as you sit on your sofa with your arms crossed. I do not understand it. I believe it is childish. Is it your right? Yeah, sure, whatever. I don't get it. And if it is, you know, if it's it's too political for me and it just drives me crazy, then I understand that. But if the reason you're doing it is to make some sort of point or statement, you aren't, so stop. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's much more we can say, that, or at least for me, that uh, like you didn't already say. I will say this, though. I, I understand people are trying to, like, 
pretend like they matter. And, and and I mean this in I guess the nicest way you can take this. You don't matter to them. They they don't they don't care. They don't care about me. They don't care about you. They they care about large sections of people, and even then only moderately because the people that say they aren't watching are watching. They're watching just to get mad or to talk about it or whatever. But you know, if if enough of y'all did it, maybe something would happen. But. It's more than anything just people blowing smoke just to show, like, I'm mad at this, and everybody know that I'm mad, and then do something about it. But they don't care because you're not that mad. Also, I find it funny because a lot of these people, these same people, are hypocrites because they always preach about freedom of speech and all that. Well, guess what? The Titans, when they didn't practice and then they did that video— they were just practicing their freedom of expression. So a lot of the times, like, the irony kind of gets lost on these people. Um, and I don't know. I just don't understand how you can get mad at the Titans players for speaking up about issues that are so very prevalent in this country, and it's apparent. And all they want to do is raise awareness towards these issues and, and you know, talk about them and, and open up the dialogue to a broader audience. Uh, and, and getting mad at them about it is just so, so dumb, honestly. Yeah, I, I, I don't get it. Um, so Will has actually bailed out. He just sent us a text that he has to go tend to his son. So it's just the two of us, Matias, as we close out. It's been a long episode, but I think it's been a good one. Don't forget to go do the survey. Uh, you can find the link on Facebook or Twitter or by emailing us. Uh, next week, we're going to be back to preview the Broncos game crazy can't wait hopefully the broncos hype train is a little misguided and they're not actually as good as a lot of people think they are but as we know uh we'll talk about it obviously but the broncos are always so good early in the season at home so hopefully derrick henry just runs all over them we'll see we'll see what happens jerrell casey and the denver broncos will face the titans in two weeks that was weird to say for many reasons so until next time, for Will and Matias, I'm Luke, providing you and everyone else in the sports world to stop the nonsense. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.